0: Well, good evening. Welcome to uh, Refuge. Um, you know, this evening, uh, I was thinking about um, just what we're going to go over in Second Chronicles chapter seven. It's, it's a chapter that perhaps is kind of sounding familiar, especially if, uh, if I mention Second Chronicles chapter seven and verse 14. All right, Because that seems to be quoted a lot here, especially here lately. Um, but it's all of this is in response to Solomon's prayer in requesting for God to respond to Israel when they get into trouble, uh, when various things happen. But I, I was also thinking about, in this chapter, how it is that immediately upon the conclusion of Solomon's prayer... Fire from heaven came down and consumed the sacrifice. And from that point on, the fire at the altar continued. There's also a time when it was extinguished. Perhaps there are times in our lives. Maybe uh, because of routine or maybe because as we know the parable of the sower, we allow the cares of this world. We allow Satan to pluck the seeds that were planted in our hearts to be picked up immediately. Perhaps the, the soil of our hearts is, is hard. It's like falling on rocky ground. And so, when the sun hits, a little bit of difficulty. It's not difficult for that, that seed to fail to take root and to produce. And so, we need another visit from the Lord. We need a, a, a moment to where the Lord freshens, refreshes our spirit. Perhaps we've lost a zeal for the Lord, a, a passion for him. We see that in the way we, we conduct ourselves on a daily basis. And I'm not saying being just blatantly in I'm talking about being a bit flippant, um, negligent in regards to our everyday cultivation of our relationship with the Lord. The reading of his word, the studying of his word. Thinking about the, the deep things of God and how it is that we can bless and honor him, how we can serve him. Perhaps uh, there was a moment when we were truly passionate about serving him. But now it just seems like things have gotten dull or just routine. And we need perhaps the Lord to visit us again. To remind us of what he saved us from. To remind us of the hope that we have in Christ. To remind us of his grace, his mercy, his compassion, his love. That he has for each and every one of us. That we may respond in a way that demonstrates that that fire in our hearts once again is ignited. That it is perhaps kindled a bit to where we can allow fellowship and the reading of his word and the time of communion with him and fellowship in the morning. Kind of uh, add fuel to the fire and that, that small fire can become something great and big that can impact others and we find great joy once again. And just knowing that we belong to him And then we respond by being consistent and serving him and just being joyful in life. Because in the midst of trouble, we can know. We can know that peace that surpasses all, all understanding. We can be reminded of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, of the glory that awaits us. And we can truly, in this moment, live with the balance in our step and be contagious causing others to ask, what is it about you that in the midst of what we're going through today they can still smile? There seems to be something different about you. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We're going to see um, just a, a beautiful... Uh, interaction between the lord and solomon the lord and his people this evening as we continue through the book of second chronicles with the solomon's uh, king solomon's dedication of the temple and then god's response to solomon's prayer of dedication that we had covered last week And so let's ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given to us. Father, I do ask, Lord, that whatever is weighing us down, if perhaps things are weighing us down, Lord, that, Lord, we we would cast all our cares upon you. You tell us to in your word to to do that very thing. Because you care for us. We are not designed to carry those burdens. You tell us to come to you when we are heavy laden, when we are tired and weary. For with you we will find rest. For your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Lord, we we know that with you all things are possible. And, and so, Father, help us, Lord, as we study your word. Lord, that we may gain understanding, but at the same time, Lord, wash us with your word. Pour your spirit out upon us. And Lord, may you build us up and strengthen us and mature us in Christ, Lord. And in so doing, May we be steadfast, strengthening in the faith that you've given to us. That we may be bold and confident in exercising that faith and testifying of your goodness. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 1 says as soon as Solomon finished his prayer fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying for he is good, for a steadfast love endures forever. What an awesome response. An immediate response to Solomon's prayer of dedication. At that very moment, the Lord responded receiving the sacrifices that were on the altar. It was, it was an awesome display of God's power. Fire descended from heaven and the people witnessed this. They saw, can you imagine in that moment, fire descending from heaven and consuming the sacrifice that was laid upon the altar. Truly miraculous. I'm sure, I mean, if you and I saw this, I mean, I would be struck with fear, with awe. It would leave me speechless. I don't think I would even be able to look to the left or to the right. Just, wow. This fire consumed this burnt offering that was offered to the Lord. You remember back in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, this, uh, the last chapter that we covered in verse 12, it says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands, and he prayed. The proximity of Solomon to the altar was very close. He, he was not far from the very sacrifice that was consumed as fire came down from heaven and yet it did not it did not consume him it didn't affect him at all remember when when Moses came close to the burning bush and, and it didn't consume the bush and it, you see the fire that is come down is sent down from heaven to consume or receive the offering is for the offering itself But it not only consumed this offering, but we see something else happening at the same time as fire comes down from heaven. But we also have here described, uh, this is described as the glory filling the temple that was being dedicated to the Lord. It is beyond words. I mean, this is, it can only be described as it was seen and witnessed by the people. And yet, it is beyond our imagination. But notice the response of the people when they witnessed this. They feared God and demonstrated it in their assumption of reverent positions. In other words, they remained there. They knew they were supposed to be there. They didn't turn and run. They maintained their positions. You see, they were expecting God to consume, to receive the offering. And he did in a spectacular way. They also assumed humble postures. What just took place before their very eyes caused them to (laughs) fall down before the Lord. They also expressed thankful hearts in worshiping God, confessing that He is good. They said, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. In that moment, they were... At a loss for any other words. But to say he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And this is just another example. A demonstration. A confirmation. That he is good. Oh he's received my offering. He's received our offering. The prayer of dedication. Oh he responded to. Just like that. You know, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. I bring this up because we ought to take into consideration the fact that God is good. And when we do consider how it is that God is good and His steadfast love is eternal and He is faithful and merciful toward us, and at the same time, He will judge every deed, knowing our hearts. And at the same time, considering the fact that we have been forgiven by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That is in and of itself a miracle just as spectacular is fire coming down from heaven and consuming the offering. It should cause us to respond in a humble, in a reverent, and in a thankful way. A way that acknowledges the Lord as, as your God. You are drawn to worship Him with everything. The entirety of your lives. Considering that we have sinned. You know, we always quote f- f- 1 John uh, 1, nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? But the verse right after that. Because we ought to acknowledge this as well. You see, the next verse requires that humility. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Each and every one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And is righteous, no, not one. First Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time... He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We also often quote Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Philippians 4, 6 tells us to not be anxious about anything, right? And yet, were you anxious today about anything? Something, something, anything, Concerned, worried, stressed out. Something was happening. And yet the Lord tells us, do not be anxious about anything. But have you ever thought about what what should concern us? What should keep us up at night? Should anything keep us up at night? What should consume our thoughts? Until we deal with it. One thing, unconfessed, unrepented of sin, I hope that keeps you up at night to where you cannot rest until you get things straight with the Lord. I hope that you are miserable, brothers and sisters, until you deal with that. Until you confess, until that godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. As it says in 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. It has to turn from worldly grief or a sorrow of the heart that you're going through those circumstances. You know... It's that kind of worldly grief that says, woe is me. I am the victim. I am the one that's dealing with such hardships and I am overwhelmed. Hey, listen, I am not saying that that is not real. It is real. But that is not godly grief. That is a worldly sorrow that you're dealing with things either The consequences of your own actions or perhaps the circumstances that the Lord's allowed you to go through. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In other words, getting to the point to where you realize That all things work together for good. To those who love God. And are called according to his purpose. When we get to the point to where we realize. I have learned. How in any. In all situations. To learn to be content. Satisfied with the Lord. Oh godly grief is good. It really is. It brings us to that point to where we. Take our eyes off of ourselves and we put them squarely on the Lord. These are the things, by the way, that brings us to the point to where we rejoice. We we praise God. We we have a reverent fear of the Lord and we, and we are thankful because he has delivered us from eternal condemnation and has saved us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We consider these things. But we need to deny ourselves. We need to take up our cross and then follow Jesus every single day with the entirety of our lives. Everything about us. Don't prioritize as far as, you know, your, your spouse and then your kids and then your work and then, you know, on down. Because something's going to get messed up. Turn it sideways. Because God should be pre- preeminent over Everything. And sometimes you need to balance things out a bit as far as juggling between one and the other. You ever catch yourself saying, well, I got to be in balance. What does that mean? When you figure that out, you tell me. Let me know what that means. Right? That means someone's going to get shortchanged. And oftentimes it's the Lord. That means that perhaps you're not going to sacrifice. Because it's going to be inconvenient to do so. Listen. Are we not called to a life of sacrifice? But that sacrifice, can you please acknowledge with me, what did the Lord do with the sacrifice that was offered to him? He received it. He consumed it. It was his. It wasn't wasted. You think it was wasted? It was not wasted. Not at all. Our whole lives should be an offering to the Lord. When we yield our lives to the Lord, when we surrender to him, then we will have that peace that surpasses all understanding in Christ Jesus. And that peace will tr- we'll guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus as we submit ourselves and place our trust in him. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You will respond to God's goodness and his love in the appropriate way. With humility, with reverence, and thanksgiving. In a way that acknowledges the Lord as your God and being drawn to worship him with everything. Again, with the wholeness of your lives. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And this is the Apostle Paul. Did he not know how to live as, as a living sacrifice? You can, read, you can read about Paul's life from the book of Acts all the way through two-thirds of the New Testament. It is the Apostle Paul writing to the church. This man who was completely devoted, consecrated to the Lord. He was used by God to write this to you and I today. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's an attitude. It's a a posture of completely yielding and trusting in the Lord. And entrusting to Him. Knowing that His will is perfect. Oh, and he, he has saved us, will continue to save us, and one day we will know the fulfillment of that salvation when we are in His glory. So therefore, we live in, a, in an ongoing acknowledgement that the Lord, He is good. We are drawn to worship Him with everything and his glory being what we desire above all, his glory, sometimes even at our expense, and oftentimes at our expense. And so, position, posture, and prayer, worshiping God with thankful hearts because he is good and his love endures forever. And so, we see this response by the people as the sacrifice is consumed. As fire came down from heaven. And they bowed down with their faces to the ground. And they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying. For he is good for His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 4. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. King Solomon offered as a sacrifice 22,000 oxen. And 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. The priests stood at their posts. The Levites also with the instruments for music to the Lord. That King David had made for giving thanks to the Lord. For a steadfast love endures forever. Whenever David offered praises by their ministry. Opposite them the priests sounded trumpets. And all Israel stood. So they went from... Bowing down with their faces to the ground. And now they're worshiping God and they're standing as these sacrifices are being offered to the Lord. Dedicating the temple to the Lord. They're standing. Now we have learned God is worthy of extravagant worship. What part of your life is he not worth giving that to? Him. What, what part of your life are you keeping back? Now we've learned that God is worthy of extravagant worship. Because as we see here, even, even in the number of sacrifices that were offered him, it, it was incredible. They were numerous. And, and, and he was worthy of it all. But we ought to consider the fact that the shedding of blood was... Well, it was grotesque. It was it was unsightly. But you know that this puts sin in proper perspective. You know the the life of a a priest, as he was given these sacrifices, and basically he was he was the one that was butchering the animals, right? And it was it was a mess. These sacrifices. It wasn't like it was. Totally clean, and then they put them up on the altar. No, th- there is blood all over the place. But it should put things in proper perspective. Because why is a sacrifice required? My sin. Because of my sin. no matter how beautiful the temple was and no matter how much work the people put into the building of it and no matter how much they gave monetarily the only way to have fellowship with God is through the shedding of blood the atonement of our sin for without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin there is no forgiveness of sin Remember that it was through the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ our Lord, that our sins have been atoned for completely. The sacrifice demonstrated God's love for us. But what is grotesque is our sin. It's our sin that put Jesus on the cross and that he willingly took upon himself as Jesus gave his life for our sake and in our place. Is that how you look at your sin? Is that how we look at our sin? Again, or do we treat it lightly? Remember I said earlier, I I hope that there's this godly grief that produces an an uneasiness in, in your life, in my life, that if there's anything that is unconfessed and unrepented of, not dealt with, not given to the Lord, not repented of, that we we just are miserable and just can't even sleep at night. Why would we hold on to those things as if that was good? And we should put sin in its proper perspective. We need to understand that the sacrifice was necessary because of our sin. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11, For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Oh, again, this should humble us. This should cause us to... To positionally yield our, our, our whole lives to the Lord. It should cause us to draw closer to the Lord. And desire him above, above all else. As we read here. As the king offered these numerous sacrifices on the altar. We see here also that every single person was in their place of service. The priests and the Levites, including those who were leading worship. Singing and then the playing of the instruments. Sounding the trumpets. As they did this, all Israel stood to their feet. Well, what, a, what a beautiful display of God's people. In, in this very moment. It must have been just an awesome scene. God's people standing to their feet. Worshipping God. Can you imagine that? Tens of thousands of people coming in from all over the place. We're talking far away from as far as the Euphrates. People were coming to worship God. To witness this very moment where they were dedicating the temple to him. So everyone took their places. They were all serving the Lord. As the priests sounded the trumpets. And all Israel stood. And Solomon verse 7. Consecrated the middle of the court. That was before the house of the Lord. For there he offered the burnt offering. And the fat of the peace offerings. Because the bronze altar Solomon had made. Could not hold the burnt offering. And the grain offering. And the fat. At that time. Solomon held the feast for seven days, and all Israel with him, a very great assembly from Lebo Hamath to the brook of Egypt. And on the eighth day they held a solemn assembly, for they had kept the dedication of the altar seven days, and the feast seven days. On the twenty-third day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their homes, joyful and glad of heart, for the prosperity that the Lord had granted to David and to Solomon and to Israel, his people. There was such um, humility and reverent gratitude and, and an expression of worship toward God among the people that Solomon had to consecrate the middle of the court for the multitude of sacrifices that were being offered. In other words, there was so much that was being brought by the people to offer to the Lord that there was no room on the altar that had been built for that very purpose. That is a good thing. That means that the people were humbled. They were willing, they wanted to bring their offering to the Lord. Notice that Solomon did not tell the people hey, listen, this is what we've built. This is how it's going to be done. And so therefore, you got to wait your turn. Wait in line. Hey, it wouldn't have been seven days. It wouldn't have been 21 days. It would have been months. They didn't, they didn't do that. He didn't do that. The priest didn't do that. They simply made room for more sacrifices to worship God with. That's awesome. To me, as, as I... As I read that, as I studied through it and, and I saw how it was that they consecrated the middle of the courtyard to do this very thing, I thought, wow, this is, this is awesome. God stirred the hearts of his people, they were willing to do this. You see, when God gets a hold of people's hearts, there is no holding them back. I come, I'm ready, I'm willing, I desire to serve. I want to give up myself. Where can I help? In fact, you're not even asking. You're just bringing yourself. This is what I want to do. I want to be here. There's no holding God's people back. And we see this at this moment. And here we see how Solomon in his wisdom making room for this outpouring of the worship of God. Solomon, again, could have said, this this is the altar. And you will all have to wait your turn. But he didn't. He modified the courts, so to speak, and made room for more offerings. If God is gracious toward us, and I'm talking about brothers and sisters here at Refuge, and perhaps he entrusts to us more people that come and desire to worship with us to grow with us. To be discipled. To grow deeper with the Lord. Then we will modify as we have already. In fact, the wall was here not too long ago. Yeah, right where you're at, Natalie. <laughs> and we only modified because we believe this is what the Lord desired. You see, this doesn't belong to anyone. This belongs to the Lord. We're just stewards of it. If the Lord wants to add to his church, so be it. We'll just add to it as God provides. May we be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us and make room for everyone that desires to come and worship And offer themselves to the Lord. This is what Solomon did. The multitudes came from all over. United in the worship of God. The dedication of the temple. And they held a feast for seven days. After they had spent the previous seven days. Dedicating the altar. It was a festive occasion. And everyone went home joyful. And glad of heart. For all that God had provided to David and Solomon. And to Israel. They were singing. God is good. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. If, if we all come with that attitude, that perspective, if, if we come to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, if we come knowing that he is good and his, his steadfast love endures forever, that our hope lies in Him, that we've come to to offer ourselves to Him, to sit at His feet, to, to receive from Him as we give to Him those things which burden us, then we should walk away the same way that the Israelites did in this day. Every time. There shouldn't be one time that you come here that you shouldn't walk away the same way they did. Joyful, glad of heart, acknowledging God's provision and that he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, I'm full. I have been built up. I have been washed with his word. I have been reminded of how much he loves me. I have been reminded of his faithfulness. He is so good. That's how they walked away. Verse 11 That Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, all that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord, and in his own house he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, If you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man to rule Israel. So at this time, after all these years, both the temple and Solomon's palace are completed. what God had stirred in the heart of David and then in so doing continued that in the heart of Solomon was completed. It was finished. And what they had built, what Solomon and all the people had built, God consecrated. He came and he occupied occupied it and he blessed it with his presence. And then we have the answer to Solomon's prayer through the remainder of this chapter. Verses 12 through 22 is is the response that is God's response to Solomon's prayer. Now, you know, this is the second time that the Lord had appeared to Solomon. Confirming what he had promised and what he stated to be the use of the temple and the conditions under which he would hear from his people. In other words, in hearing not like you and I hear, but would respond effectively to the prayers of his people. Communicating to them the positive consequences, as we read here in these verses, to their obedience. Because there are positive consequences. You know, as I've shared with you, I've shared with my boys, hey, listen, there's consequences either way. Obedience, there's consequences. Disobedience, there's consequences. For you and I, it's really that simple as God's children. Obedience, there's consequences. Disobedience, there's consequences. Blessings, and then there's discipline. Because God disciplines the one he loves. Right? Remember that Solomon had asked God to hear their cries As the people cry to you, God. As they confess their sins and they repent of their sins. He asked them, please remember them. And forgive them. And now God is responding to this request by Solomon. And the Lord here said when, not if, but when. These things do take place. Then this is what is required of them. If my people. Who are called by my name. Humble themselves. And pray and seek my face. And turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. And will forgive their sin. And heal their land. His conditions of response for his people are, are plain. They're simple. In other words, they're, they can be clearly understood. They actually need no explanation. He will respond to humility, a repentant heart, belief, and a praying people. By the way, my people, as we learned last week, included foreigners who placed their trust in God and worshipped him. As we fast forward to the New Testament, we know that those foreigners are the Gentiles, you and I, who have been grafted into the family of God. My people. And God promised to hear prayer made in this place from the temple or toward the temple where he said he would meet with his people. He's everywhere at all times. And yet there's just something special about the temple. It had been consecrated as a place of worship. And God said that his eyes and his ears would be attentive to the prayers made in this place. And God said that his heart would be there for all time. This is described in this manner For the benefit of God's people. For you and I. As we can understand when a person is watching, listening, and desiring of another's benefit. They understand this kind of attentiveness. It's demonstrated. But God did state very clearly the conditions upon which he would consider or hear and then respond. That is, forgive the offender or offenders. First of all, this is what he required. God's people must humble themselves. To humble oneself before the Lord is to confess confess failure, confess pride. Lucifer expressed pride over God. He says, I will ascend. I'll be like God, right? Whenever we assert our will over God's, we lack in humility. We're exerting the same pride as Lucifer did. We need to confess, humble ourselves, confess our sins. 1 John 1, 9 if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is a humble confession of our offense against a holy God. Humility is the opposite of pride. To humble oneself is to lower oneself in importance, in dignity even. Remember I had stated, I, I think it was uh, on on Sunday, if not last Wednesday, um, talking about accepting humiliation. It's okay if humiliation, if if allowing ourselves to go through humiliation. That is in the confession of our sins. We have done this. And we are truly repentive of that. That that would cause us to be in right standing before the Lord. Because we are willing to go through that humiliation. Then that is the right thing to do. Why? Because we desire To be right with God above all else. We lower ourselves in importance and dignity. Making ourselves subservient to another. That is to God. Yielding to him and his authority. In this case, God is requiring his people to acknowledge that they have fallen short. That they have sinned. Secondly, pray and seek the face of God. Once a person humbles himself before God and confesses they are to pray, that that is, in that moment they are to ask. Humbly ask. Believing that God is able to forgive as we come to Him, yielding ourselves to Him, humbling ourselves before Him. And whatever God decides to do, you are fine with. We are content with his answer. Are we always content with his answer? Oftentimes we are not. That's why we are miserable in our situation, in our, in our state of living. We, we all, brothers and sisters, we all deal with hardships. Whether it be health or relationships or work-related different things that happen to us. We need to learn to be content. You see, it doesn't shock God. It doesn't surprise God that you are in the situation that you're in, no matter what it is. He promises to be with you through that. Are we content? Are we satisfied with with, with his faithfulness, with his presence as we go through these things? We need to yield our will to God's will. Thirdly, if the people repent, that is, turn from their sin, forsaking their wicked ways. And if they turn to God to serve Him in righteousness with the entirety of their lives, this is what He was requiring. This is His standard. It's no different today than it was back then. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 You see, turning from our sins requires us to do that which is honoring to God. This, that which brought shame to the Lord, we turn from that. We confess that. We, we turn. We repent. But that means that we ought to do the very thing now that honors the Lord. If we were thieves, now we are generous and we give. If we were liars, we tell the truth. And the list goes on need to learn how to do that that is true repentance if you just put off and never put on just kind of stay neutral you can never stay there for, there there for very long and some point you'll go back to your own vomit that is just the tendency of fallen man that is what we do god said if my people do this. He said he would hear and forgive their sin and heal their land. And we see this promise. It's followed through with, with by God. In, in the coming chapters, we will see this with Hezekiah and Manasseh and Rehoboam. We're, we're going to see this as we go through and see when they truly and genuinely cry out to the Lord and, and repent of their sins. We see how it is that God is faithful time and time again. Now, regarding Solomon, again, verse 17 says, And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man to rule Israel. Now, we've already seen these conditions previously laid out for Solomon and communicated to David But these conditions are no different. They're they're no different for Solomon as they were for David as they were for Joshua. It's the same. In fact, in Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, it says, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded. You do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Oh, the Lord desires that we have good success as we are faithful to Him. These, this law, the word that He has for us, oh, it serves as a... Have you ever gone bowling, and, and have you seen those, those bumpers that they put, like, in the gutters for the kids? Normally, it's for the kids. <laughs> I mean, you can throw it down, right? As long as you don't throw it up and over into the next lane. But if you go down your own lane, you can hit those bumpers, and it's going to hit some pins, right? In a way, that's what the Lord does. He says, you know what, just don't veer off to the left or to the right. Stay on the narrow path. Just stay in this lane. I have these bumpers set up for you so that you may be prosperous and successful. That you may know the abundant life in Christ. That you may understand that peace that surpasses all all understanding. That you may know the joy of the Lord is truly your strength. That you may know that With God, all things are possible. God desires that we just stay on the path. And how do we do that? Well, we walk according to the spirit of truth. Who leads us in all truth. Points us to Christ. Reminds us of our hope. The glory that awaits us. And we are encouraged to not offend the Lord because we fear him. We are reverent toward him. We love him. And we demonstrate it by our obedience. If you love me, you will keep my commandments is what Jesus said. And so therefore, he gives us a word. He says, don't veer off. You'll be prosperous. You'll be successful if you just stay the course. He said this to Joshua. He said this to David. He said this to Solomon. And he says it to us today. Just stay the course. This is the difference here is that he is speaking to the reign over Israel, the throne of Israel. He's telling me if you if you keep my commandments, then there will not lack a, a son that sits on the throne. We'll continue. Descendant after descendant will reign on the throne of Israel. Either way, it is specific to being successful in walking with God, pleasing him in faithfulness to him and blessing him. Not in perfection, because he he didn't tell him in perfection. He told him, follow me as your father David followed me. David was far from perfect, but what was the difference with David? He had a heart after God's. That means that he was a man of repentance. He was was humble in that way. When sin was revealed to him that was in his own heart, he would confess it. He would turn from it. That's what God, God desires, and that's what brings him glory. God not only told Solomon that what he would do if his people were obedient but also what he would do if they were disobedient and rebellious and we need, need to know that as well if they turn their backs on me this is what's going to happen in verse 19 through the remainder of this chapter he lays it out if ye turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that i have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them then i will pluck you up from my land that i have given you and this house that i have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, He has brought all this disaster on them. God warned them that he would not hesitate to discipline them for forsaking his word, forsaking him, and turning to other gods or idols and then worshiping them. He would not hesitate to expel them from the land and the place that God has set aside that he be worshipped. All that time, all that effort, the beauty of the temple, the setting aside of the the location, all of that. God was, even in that moment, he was telling, I will not hesitate to take you out of this place. If you forsake me, if you turn to other gods, the, the, the worship of idols, of nothing. He says, I will expel you from this land, from this very place. He said that he would allow the land and the temple to be a perfect example of what happens when God's people abandon him to go after other gods. And the people would know this. All the nations would know this. Every time a nation is in trouble, they must say, we don't want to be in Israel to lose everything. And lose everything, we need to get our act together. Can you imagine that? Hey, listen, we don't, we don't want to be like Israel. A byword. An example of what not to do. You never want to be an example of what not to do. That's what he was telling them. Hey, Listen. If you do this, people will go by, see the temple. They will acknowledge Jerusalem and Israel and say, oh, they were once blessed and covered by God, but they have since turned their backs on God. Nations shaking their heads at the condition of Israel and the temple and pointing, pointing at it in disgust knowing the discipline under which God's people are placed in by God. Listen, just because God had consecrated the temple doesn't mean that he won't discipline his rebellious people. When the presence of God leaves, and he can choose to withdraw it at any time, at at that very moment... You might as well pack up and go. Or, here's the other thing. What would he rather see? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, right? That very moment, the heart of David, confess, I've sinned against the Lord and the, the Lord alone. Confess, repent. Because he desires... As he applies this discipline that his rebellious people would humble themselves and pray and seek his face and repent that they may be reconciled and thus restored. And God is willing to discipline in order for this to happen. Sometimes I think of my life in the point to which I had to come to me personally personally. He had to put me square on my back for me to acknowledge him again. In order for me to confess and repent and cry out to the Lord with humility. Being genuine and asking him, Lord, please forgive me. I am a wretched sinner. I deserve nothing. And yet I cry out to you and just ask, God, be merciful to, to me. Be gracious to me if you will. Forgive me of my sins. I have offended you. I, I remember the place. I remember the night. I remember my brokenness before God. I remember in that moment knowing after I had completely yielded once again to the Lord that he had indeed forgiven me. Why? Because he is faithful. And I did not want to offend him. I didn't want to go back To where I was before. I know what God desires. This is what God desires. With all of his people. Because he desires that none should perish. But that all should reach repentance. We will see how the Lord was faithful to his promises. A nation so blessed and favored. Unfortunately will also. Experience severe discipline. And punishment. Remember this though. The reason why they were given to discipline and severe punishment was for them to come to a place of confession, repentance, knowing reconciliation and restoration. And we see that come full circle. We see God's faithfulness. But remember, these are all promises of God. Standards he requires his people to abide by and keep and also discipline if his people don't abide and keep. God lays all this out, let us remember our sacrifice, Jesus Christ, who made it possible to have a relationship with the Father. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He made it possible for us to have fellowship with the Father. Imagine that. And yet we have access to him. We can enjoy a genuine fellowship with him and And then as we do so, we can enjoy fellowship with each other. Our salvation being common among each other. Our hope being common. Our hope, our faith being common. May we offer ourselves as living sacrifices consecrated unto Jesus with grateful hearts that worship him extravagantly. When we consider the fact that God is good and his steadfast love is eternal and he is faithful and merciful toward us. As we understand that he has judged every sin of ours on the cross and we have surrendered to him and we have known salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then we ought to be compelled to have thankful hearts filled with worship and we ourselves, with the Israelites in this day, we could say, "For he is good for his steadfast love endures forever." I want to leave you with this. In Second Chronicles chapter seven and verse one, fire came down from heaven and ignited that altar. Did you know that it was not extinguished until they were sent into captivity to Babylon? There were two times, as we have seen here, that the Lord visited Solomon. The second time was to confirm his word. Perhaps we need to be reminded that God desires to visit with us and remind us of his promises, his goodness, and that his steadfast love endures forever. May our fire, perhaps it's been extinguished at some point, perhaps it is very... Small. I pray that we will simply yield ourselves to the Lord, confess our sins to him, be living sacrifices, giving ourselves completely to him, desire his glory above all, and that fire be kindled and grow our passion toward him, our love for him be expressed in our worship and praise for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the love that you first demonstrated to us. Lord, you are so good. We know that you love us with an everlasting love. You are faithful. Lord, you are patient with us and we are truly thankful for that. But we do ask, Lord, that you would forgive us of our sins. And Lord, that as your people, we would, oh Lord, express a gratitude toward you. in the way we conduct ourselves how we live uh, in every situation, through every situation, Lord, placing our hope squarely on you. And so, Father, we, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this reminder. We ask, Lord, that you would bless us as your people. Oh, fill us with your Holy Spirit and fill this place, Lord, with your Spirit. May this place be a a location, Lord, where you are worshipped, you are praised. Uh, A place that is filled with your spirit, that when people walk through those doors, they know that you are present, Lord. And that we are here to worship you, to bless you, to praise you. Lord, with joy in our hearts, because we have the hope of heaven through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior in whose name we pray.